0: Hello and welcome to episode 99 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And boy, do we have an interesting story this week. Of course, it's one that everyone has probably heard of, but hey, a timeline and maybe some new stuff will come out. I know I learned a few new things. So I have got, oh, sorry, this is Bettina.
1: You already said your name. I'm Beth. I did. (laughs) Mom's, yes, mom's really excited to jump into this case, I I am. Can we just forget about what you have and I'll just jump, no.
0: Yes, I've got the true crime and Beth has the paranormal and the drink. So what do you have?
1: Yes, we are recording virtually, and I have to apologize. I was a huge slacker this week with the kids and research and preparing for episode 100 next week. Okay, so I am drinking a Kansas City beer, and yes, I know we're covering true crime paranormal stories from Utah, but I chose a Kansas City beer. I'm sorry, but it kind of has something to do with my paranormal story. See? I'm pulling a patina here. I'm finding some ties. I will tie it to my true crime, too. Oh, OK. Well, I am drinking Boulevard Brewing Companies. This is actually my absolute favorite beer. It's called Space Camper. It is an IPA. There is 5.9% alcohol in here. So um, I apologize for the end of this episode, probably. <laughs> but yeah, it's the Space Camper. It is a cosmic IPA bursting with Tropical fruit flavors and aromas Of nectar and citrus Oh my goodness It is seriously my favorite beer It is a pretty heavy IPA Oh okay Alex does not like this kind of beer So I know that when I put it In the fridge it will be safe for my (laughs) Consumption only Are you drinking anything over there mom? Uh, I had a little glass of Sparkling but (laughs) it's gone now i drink it with dinner so you sounded very sad i had a little glass of
0: spark i am
1: sad it's empty <laughs> all right mom i'm gonna crack it open <sniffs> virtual cheers mom cheers enjoy
0: all right while you're sitting back and drinking that i am going
1: to talk cat in the hat cat sorry. that was sit weird. back drinking that cat in the hat okay sorry <laughs> I apologize for the end of the episode. I should be apologizing in general. Yeah. Go on, Mom.
0: I'm talking about 22-year-old Gabby Petito and 23-year-old Brian Laundry, Two names that I'm sure most of you have heard before
1: because it was all the talk. Yeah, Mom and I went back and forth on that we wanted to cover it. Did We, we covered it for our patrons when it was in the thick of things. We did. But... We went back and forth if we wanted to do an episode. And I think Gabby deserves a full episode. And I think people know her name and they know that there was a case going on. But I, I'm excited to hear like the legit timeline of like beginning to end. And there is an end now.
0: The media world shared a type of frenzy, if you remember, on the whole case. We covered what we knew at the time, like you said, with our patrons. But now the story has come to an end. And questions have, for the most part, been answered. My intention is to lead you through the timeline of Gabby and Brian's journey. I suggest you grab a calendar because I'm going to give you a lot of dates. Here we go.
1: Hold on. Hold on. I'm grabbing a calendar. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I don't want to get lost in your story. There's a lot of dates. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Here we go. <laughs>
0: Gabby and Brian began as friends when they both attended Bayport Blue Point High School in Bayport, New York. The friendship blossomed, and in March 2019, when Brian and his family moved to North Point, Florida, Gabby followed. She moved in with Brian and his family, and on July 2nd, 2020, the couple were engaged, which Gabby shared on social media. They even got matching tattoos, which Connected when they put their hands together. It was pretty cool. I'd never seen that before, but when they put their hands together, like they were holding hands, the tattoos wound around their fingers and such that they, like, they're kind of vines. And then when Uh they put their hands together, the vines connected and continued. That's really kind of cool. Yeah, it was very cool, actually, I thought. Rose Davis became a very close friend of Gabby's after she moved to Florida. She thought the couple looked happy. Gabby was certainly happy, but Rose was a little, mm, little uncertain about Brian. She described him as being a manipulator, but in a sly way. For example, shortly after the couple were engaged, Gabby wanted to go out for drinks with Rose. Brian didn't want her to. So I guess instead of talking about it, he simply stole her ID so she couldn't go out. Oh, yuck. During this time, Gabby worked at Taco Bell and Brian worked at Publix grocery store. The couple was saving every penny they could to buy a vehicle and travel. On December eleventh, 2020, Gabby posted on social media that the couple had purchased a van. Quote, new van means new adventures, end of quote. They converted the back of the van into a small living space. Their plan was to travel across the U.S. for four to five months, and Gabby was going to document their trip To share on social media so this was going to be a digital journey now the couple had wanted to get married that summer instead of doing this travel thing but COVID hit so Mm. that's why they decided well instead of getting married we'll get married the following year and this year let's travel that's so cool though on July 2nd I have twenty nine twenty one. I don't think
1: so. Oh my gosh. <laughs> On July 2nd,
0: 2021, Gabby and Brian left Blue Point New York where they had celebrated her younger brother's graduation. Their adventure had begun. Gabby was true to her word and posted about their trip. They traveled from New York to Kansas, Oh. They actually stopped at Monument Rocks, which is off of Highway 83, about 25 miles south of Oakley. Brian posted a picture of them on July 4th on his Instagram. After they left Kansas, they went to Colorado and Utah, camping at national parks and touring national attractions. By all accounts, the couple looked very happy in the videos, smiling, laughing, and kissing in beautiful surroundings. But did all that cheerfulness cover what was going on when the video was not rolling? Gabby's friend Rose said in the forty eight hours episode that I watched the couple's relationship seemed a bit rocky. And she had asked her friend to put the trip off
1: for a few months. Hindsight, right? Hmm. Well, think about social media too. You only post the good things. Of course you do. Of course you You want you do. to post those. Pretty happy smiles and oh look how great I'm doing. That's just unfortunately what social media.
0: Well, not only social is. media. That's the facade you put on when you walk out of your house. You know you don't want Very people true. to know what's going on. And all right, moving on to August twelfth. This is six deep, weeks. Mom, that was deep. <laughs> <laughs> this is six weeks into the trip. A call was placed to nine one one. The caller stated that he saw a man slap a woman outside of a MOA co-op. The couple seemed to be arguing over a phone. The man described the vehicle the couple got into as a white Ford Transit van with Florida plates. The caller informed the dispatcher of the direction the van was heading and the police were called. At 4.45, just before the Archer's National Park entrance, the white Transit van was pulled over. Now, it's unclear to me whether the police even knew of the 911 call at
1: that time. Yeah, I don't think, for, from the research we did for the Patreon account, I don't think they did. I think they pulled them over because they were driving erratically.
0: So I'm not sure where the police knew about this 911 call. The van was driving 45 miles an hour in a 15-mile zone, was being driven erratically, and then hit a curb. That's the reason the van was pulled over. What follows is the video that's been shown on a number of sites of the police pulling the van over, then separating the c- couple. Gabby is very obviously distraught. She can't stop crying as she tells the police that she was hitting Brian, that she suffers from OCD, and that she's stressed out and that Brian stresses her out. Brian on the other hand is cool as a cucumber. Mm-hmm. Yes. "'Gabby was hitting him, causing him to drive erratically. "'No, he did not want to press charges. "'Then Gabby, who had settled down, was asked if she meant bodily harm to Brian when she hit him. "'No,' she responded, "'she would never hurt Brian.' "'O'Brien and Gabby admitted to loving one another, "'but police encouraged the couple to separate for the night.' They took Brian to a hotel, and they left Gabby with the van. Now I've always wondered why did they do that? Why did,
1: yeah, <laughs> it why makes
0: did he? No sense. Well, I think I have an answer for that. I'm still not totally convinced about the, <laughs> about the reasoning, but Brian was the victim, so they always scenario, remove yeah. the victim from the site. So they removed Brian from the van. All right. Yeah. And he didn't want to press any charges against her. Right. But even in doing this, I mean, if the victim was really Brian, Gabby had the van and could find him and drive to where he was at. I mean, it really was if he really was the victim, you know. So, yeah, I don't know that that I I still kind of question that one, but. But I think that's, that's the reason. That's always the, what they do is take the victim away okay. from the incident. Anyway, according to many views of the video, there were definite signs of domestic violence. So I didn't really see these domestic violence signs, but experts that watched the video said that they definitely saw signs of domestic violence. They say this because Gabby took full responsibility and accepted the blame. But my, mm-hmm. but Brian took no responsibility if, and even called Gabby crazy. Okay, so I'm going to kind of put my two cents worth here. <laughs> First, I think the police handled the situation the best they could. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it is unknown whether they knew of the 911 call. And even if they did, both Brian and Gabby said that Brian did not hit her. He did admit to pushing her away from him, but that he did so because she was hitting him. Now, with what I'm going to say next, please know that I'm in no way victim blaming. Please know that right now. But it looked to me like Gabby, as distraught as she was, she had just reached the end of her rope. She said that she had been cleaning the van and then Brian just hops in with his dirty feet. Maybe, at the beginning of this adventure, she wouldn't have minded that as much. But this far into the trip, I think every little thing was probably getting on her nerves, and the dirty feet was just the last straw. I mean, that's I mean, kind but of you're
1: living you're living with this person in a van. All summer. like and doing everything together. Everything together. You're not taking any time apart. And I don't care if you're the best of friends. Like, you're going to start getting on each other's nerves. Oh, definitely. Little things are. Definitely. I mean, I, mean I, I think. I have OCD just, you know, I, I get it. Like, I watched that and I totally got where she was coming from. Like, you just get so overwhelmed trying to keep everything in the right spot being diagnosed with real OCD or not but like I get it like you you keep you get so overwhelmed with just trying to keep everything organized and in a nice place and keep things going and and just oh you just snap you get so mad sometimes
0: well I think she was also a little overwhelmed with the social media thing and getting that out I think she was putting a lot on herself so I think Brian was getting on her nerves and I think maybe Gabby was getting on Brian's nerves also. I mean, they're, you know, they both (laughs) were probably just in too close a contact for that long a period of time. Remember, Gabby's friend Rose saw cracks in the relationship even before they set out on their journey. On August 19th, a video was posted on YouTube by Gabby. She named it, quote, Van Life, beginning our van life journey. Now this is after They were pulled over, right? Yeah. Watching it just made me very sad. And I know it's really, really gut-wrenching to watch. Gabby seemed like a happy, free spirit. Brian seemed more quiet and reserved, but maybe he was just shying from the camera. I don't know. I don't want my knowledge of what happened in the end to affect what I see in the video. Because what you do see is two beautiful, happy, young people who looked very much in love. Gabby called her mother later that day to tell her that they were heading to the Grand Tetons. This was the last time she and her mother spoke.
1: Now, she had told her parents about the police pulling them over, too.
0: Yeah, and then then it was everywhere. The video, I don't know how it got leaked, but it was everywhere. Uh, If you haven't seen it, all you have to do is Google... Gabby and Brian or you know Gabby Petito even and the video yeah, but will You pop gotta up. be
1: careful you gotta be Careful though because you really Do uh, my opinion I think you should watch the whole Video because you gotta be Careful with just the snippets that some of these Media are gonna portray Or show because they're showing Those snippets in hindsight of what Happens mm-hmm. does that make Sense <laughs> it does it does. They're Like oh look at the way she's carrying Herself here and it's like why are we looking like, yeah, sure, but the cops aren't going to catch that in that situation. Like you can't, you can't blame the police. They're handling no. the disturbance. I thought the police handled it in in that just, matter. just
0: fine. And, you know, these people are hopping on and blaming the police for her death and all this other stuff is like, whoa. You know, <laughs> I think yeah. they handled the situation the best they could. They handled the situation the only way they could because Mm -hmm. both of them claimed that he did not hurt her. He did not hit her. She was the one that hit him, and he didn't want to press charges. So the police, their hands were tied. Now, somebody said something about they saw bruises on her in that video. I looked really closely, and I could not see any bruises, but I don't know. And hello, they'd just been dune surfing, I'm probably going to end up with a (laughs) bunch of bruises on my arms and my back, too, if I'm dune surfing. Are you kidding
1: me? I get a bruise just waking up in the morning. I can't. (laughs) Well, you know, I just,
0: we have to take everything into consideration. On August 24th, Gabby and Brian were reportedly seen leaving a hotel in Salt Lake City. I will refer to this later. On August 25th, Gabby posted pictures of herself in front of a butterfly mural in Ogden, Utah. This was her last post on Instagram, and it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Yeah, it is. I think it really, I mean, again, hindsight, but I think it really captures her, her essence. I agree. On August 27th, Gabby's mother received a very odd text from Gabby's phone. The text read, quote, Can you help Stan? I just keep getting his voicemails and missed calls, end of quote. Now, Stan is the name of Gabby's grandfather, but she has never referred to him by his name. So Gabby's mother was very confused and started Mm. becoming concerned. On August 29th, a TikToker, Miranda Baker, said that she and her boyfriend picked up a man, they think it was Brian, at Grand Teton National Park at 5.30 p.m. The man offered $200 for the 10-mile ride to Jackson. He told them that he had been hiking for several days and had left his fiancee working on her social media from their van. At 6.09, the man became very agitated, saying he wanted to go to Jackson, not Jackson Hole, and demanded to be let out of the car. August 29th, was also Rose's, Gabby's friend in Florida. It was her birthday. She did not get a call or a text or anything from Gabby that day, which was very out of character for Gabby. So now Rose is starting to worry. Yeah. On August 30th, Gabby's mother receives the last text from Gabby's phone. She has never revealed what the text said, but according to some reports, the text read, quote, no service in Yosemite. You, uh, I can never say that. No service. Yosemite. Yos, Yose, yep, yeah, that one. End of quote. Yosemite. <laughs> September 1st finds Brian back at home in Northport, Florida. He had driven the van home alone. The Petito family did not know that he was back in Florida, but by this time they had become extremely concerned for Gabby's safety. They had not heard from her, and her cell phone had stopped working. On September 11th, Gabby's family had not heard from her since August, so Gabby's mother filed a missing person report with the Suffolk County, New York Police Department.
1: And hadn't she reached out to the Laundries at this time, too? Like, hey, have you heard from the kids? And and they weren't saying anything they either. They weren't saying though. anything either.
0: September 13th is when we all heard about this unfolding tragic story. It hit the news in a big way. The media, news and social media, went into a frenzy. But all was silent on the laundry home front. Brian had become a person of interest, and he already had a lawyer. People started questioning his innocence. Now, I have to put in here, just because he had a lawyer did not make him guilty at that point. Many people say or suggest to get a lawyer, whether you're innocent or not, for your own safety, you know, mm-hmm. to cover yourself. But I'm just going to put that in there. Sept- September 16th, the Northport Police held a p- press conference where Gabby's father appealed for help from the outside as well as from Brian's parents. Now, things are going to get a little confusing and messy from here on out. Even when this was actually going on and I was following it, I got a little lost. So Steve Bertolino, Brian's lawyer, told Eight on Your Side out of Sarasota County that the family reported Brian missing on September 13th when he didn't come home that night after spending the day hiking in the Carlton Reserve. Let me rephrase that. The lawyer said that he told... FBI the night that Brian did not come home from his hike he called the FBI immediately and told them that Brian had not come home okay he said I had a conversation with the FBI that night or the morning after probably both and conversed with the FBI and conveyed to him them that Brian did not come home He went on to say that neither the police or FBI was contacted after that initial call to tell them that Brian was still not home. But then on the flip side, they didn't call the laundries either to check on Brian's status. So according to him, he called them that night or the next morning, but then did not call them again to tell them Brian still had not come back.
1: Okay.
0: At that September 16th press conference that I mentioned earlier, Police Chief Todd Garrison was asked if he knew where Brian was, and he replied that he did. The Northport Police thought he was at home. The FBI also thought Brian was at home. On September 17th, they called Bertolino to verify because there had been a report that Brian was seen in Tampa. They were told that Brian had never come home from his hike in the Carlton Reserve. So supposedly that's the second time they were told that. Now that's why okay. you get really confused here because on one hand they're saying the parents didn't report anything, blah, blah, blah. And then on the other hand, the lawyer is saying, we called, we told them, they knew. And then maybe they just supposed he had come in that meantime because I have no idea. That's that's what's confusing. We'll probably never know.
1: I, and I know we'll never know, but like... But the laundries were just suspicious from the beginning. Like I said, Gabby's family was calling them saying, hey, we're going to file a missing persons because we haven't heard from Gabby. Have you heard from Brian? Like, do you know what's going on? And they didn't respond to the family. So then the family filed the missing person and la, da, da. But like they even then they didn't come forward.
0: They definitely acted suspicious and especially I mean, Gabby had been living with them. They knew this girl. It wasn't like she yeah. was, you know, somebody they didn't know. They knew her very well and they just weren't saying anything, basically. They were not
1: saying I know. anything. No, and her parents are freaking out. Right. Like freaking out. And like the dad, Gabby's father lived not too far from them. And he even went to the to the laundry home and he ended up. There was cops called and everything, but like they still even then wouldn't say. No, Brian's here or Gabby's gone. Basically, or hid under a rock. From the beginning, from the time that Brian drove home in that van, they hid under a rock, which just looks so suspicious. On September seventeenth, the laundries informed the police that they
0: did not know where their son was. He left on September thirteenth to go hiking in the Carlton Reserve and had not come back. Huh. <sighs> What do you believe? I mean, this is, you know, yeah. again, what do you believe? The FBI and police who claimed they thought Brian was at home or the laundry's lawyer who claims that he told them the night Brian went hiking and had not returned. No matter. On September 18th, more than 50 police and FBI agents searched miles of trails and alligator and snake infested water in the 24,000 acre park. Put that in your mind. This park is twenty four thousand acres. Huge. I think it was around this time that some idiot—you'll remember this—posted a video that had been taken on the water and that was supposedly posted by Brian. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, Brian supposedly went live on his Instagram or something like that for like, yeah, And, and for like a couple for like a couple minutes.
0: Yeah, very short. Very short period of time, almost as if it was a mistake or something. I don't know. Yeah, not even a minute. Yeah. But you saw, all you saw is water and that -hmm. he was on a boat or something. But that's all you saw. You didn't see anything else.
1: And like a floating water bottle or like... I don't know. People cut the image up. They say that they saw like inside of the boat. They saw like somebody in a flip flop and like, oh, he's with Rose is what a lot of people were oh saying. Like gosh. Those look like Rose's flip flops. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous because you really couldn't see anything. No. And didn't, what didn't they prove? It wasn't even him. It wasn't even him. It was
0: not yeah. even him. And that was. Mom, or- people
1: were going crazy. People were like following him on his Spotify account and saying things like oh my gosh a new song was just added to a playlist on his Spotify Jeez. he's alive out there and he's adding music to his Spotify and it's like oh my gosh yeah you guys are crazy it, it, wa- it, I was. Mean, it, it was interesting we were following it but like it was some crazy. of these theories and rabbit holes were crazy oh it was
0: also at this time that protesters actually lived outside of the Laundry's house in Northport. Back up to the Grand Tetons. A quote van life, and that's really what they're called, family, Kyler and Jen Buffoon were up in the Grand Tetons on August 27th. They too had started a YouTube channel so people could follow their adventures. This day was no different. With the GoPro camera filming, they drove around a campground looking for a place to park. As they were driving around, they came upon a white Ford Transit van with Florida plates. Since they too were from Florida, the family stopped to say hi to the van owners. Only the van was dark and empty. So the family moved on. Now fast forward 22 days to September 18th. Jen was checking her phone. And that's when she found out about the missing Gabby and the white van. She called the FBI immediately and turned over her footage, which had the white van on it. And this was an mm-hmm. incredibly big
1: break. Yeah. Yeah, because that placed a timeline for the police of where they were. Well, not only that. Or a locate, gave them a location. Yeah. On
0: September 19th, FBI reported the findings of a body in Wyoming. The body was found in a remote area about a five-minute walk from where the van had been seen by the buffoons. In a Dr. Phil's show interview, October 5th and 6th, Gabby's stepfather, Jim, describes the area as a place you have to want to go to. You even have to cross a creek to get there. It looked like a tent had been set up and a fire ring was visible. To honor Gabby, Jim made a cross out of rocks on the spot where Gabby's body was found, upon which he laid wildflowers. On August 20th, FBI agents swarmed the laundry's home and headed back out to the nature reserve, this time with some of Brian's personal belongings to aid the search dogs. One major problem was that about 75% of the park was underwater. Mm-hmm. nonetheless searchers spent days looking for brian to no avail september 21st it was released to the public that the body that was found in wyoming was gabby the manner of death was homicide but no other details were released on september 23rd an arrest warrant was issued for brian Not for the death of Gabby, but instead for the unauthorized use of Gabby's debit card between August 30th and September 1st, with a value of $1,000 or more. On September 26th, a public memorial service was held for Gabby in Long Island, New York. Over a a 1,000 people from all over attended. The service was also streamed online. October 6th. So now we're in October. (laughs) Steve Bertolini, Brian's lawyer, told CBS News that Brian had flown to Florida during his trip with Gabby, August 17th to August 23rd, to get some supplies and to close a storage unit. I had not heard about this at all. Had you? No. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Now, I looked at the dates because I thought, does that add up? Looking at the dates, Brian flew to Florida five days after the incident with the police and MOAB and flew back maybe to Salt Lake City because the couple was seen leaving a hotel in Salt Lake the following day. So the dates do add up, but I just had never known that he had flown back for supplies. Never heard that before. Mm Mm-mm. August 12th, it is released to the public that Gabby died by strangulation. I also picked up, actually today, that she died of blunt force injuries to her head and neck, as well as manual strangulation. Hmm. Her body had been in the elements for three to four weeks. What was not released, and I'm still unclear about this, is whether her body was found buried
1: or not. That's... Because it was just just out in the open. You'd think for that long, you'd think animals, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's
0: just very unclear. Very Mm -hmm. unclear as to what what condition her body was in, whether she was buried. I mean, mean, it's very unclear. Nobody's released that. Things were quiet for eight days until October 20th, when it was released that human skeletal remains had been found in the Carlton National Reserve in Florida. Along with the body were found a backpack, a notebook, and a revolver. This area had, until this time, been underwater. The following day, October 21st, the FBI released confirmation that the skeletal remains were those of Brian Laundry. A little over a month later, on November 23rd, Stephen Bertolino stated that Brian had died from self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. After that announcement, those following the case were anxiously awaiting the revelation as to what was written in the notebook found near Brian's body. We got our answer on January 21st, 2022, so just last month. The notebook contained Brian's written confession to the murder of his fiancée, Gabby Petito. The Gabby Petito murder case has been closed, but we're still left with some unanswered questions that will probably remain unanswered. The question that has priority is why? How did this journey that was supposed to be a four to five month adventure end the way it did? Why did Brian Laundrie kill Gabby Petito?
1: And wasn't it his dad who discovered the backpack? Yeah, I, you know, I had to cut. I had to limit the Oh no no no! I am not criticizing your Thank no uh, you very yeah. much for actually, the his, timeline. Actually, his parents did ask. I think it was like they. They wanted to go to that exact. Location. I think it was the day they actually
0: found the skeletal remains. That morning, they didn't ask. The father said, "We are going out there with you today," and they went out. Well, the place that. I guess the father led them to was a place that Brian always went to as was his favorite hiking path. So it would make mm-hmm. sense that they would take him there. But then his father was the one who found the items. And then the police Ugh. and the FBI were kind of further ahead of him and they stopped him from going any further. But he was the one I believe that found either the notebook or the backpack or both. But luckily, the notebook had been wrapped in plastic. And so it, you know, had withstood the water damage and they could still read it.
1: That's so interesting.
0: But I don't know. I'm just I'm just so saddened by this whole story. You know, Mm -hmm. if you look back at the videos now, I mean, we looked back. Adam, while the story was unfolding and, and it was sad, but now you look back on it and it just breaks your heart. There's these two beautiful young people and I don't know what they were hiding. I don't, you know, we don't ever know we what don't goes know on demons. behind closed doors. Yeah. We we have no idea. But uh, the ex- Gabby was just a free beautiful spirit. You know, she was just happy. She just seemed to be just happy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Anyway, very, very sad story that now we have an end to, unfortunately. All right, what do you have? (laughs) (laughs) And I believe you did Utah because the couple did spend, I guess, a lot of time in Utah and Moab. So, but you could have picked a lot of states.
1: I know. And I picked Utah. I mean, heck, I didn't even pick a beverage from the location. So sorry. Yeah, but listen, yours is
0: called, what What was a beer called? Space camper. Okay. So they traveled in a sort of makeshift camper. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to help you out, girlfriend. Come on.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we'll just move on to the paranormal. Okay. So I've got something a little different this week. Maybe it's paranormal. Maybe it's not. You be the judge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back in good old 2020, honestly, it is such a blur of 2020, 2022.
0: Isn't it all just kind of meshing it together? Is. 2020 and 2021 just are just one big blob. Blah.
1: Yes. <laughs> so back in 2020, a group of biologists were flying their helicopter over the Utah desert. They were counting sheep. <laughs> Are they trying to go to sleep? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That was my next thing. That was my next thing. in my and No, I don't mean they were trying to fall asleep. LOL. <laughs> Such a dad joke. Or I guess we should call it mom joke. <laughs> okay. So like I was saying, it's biologists flying their helicopter over the Utah desert counting sheep. I guess they're keeping an eye on the bighorn sheep population. Okay. So they're flying and one of the biologists sees something odd. Now, remember, they're in the desert. Like I pulled up some coordinates of the estimated coordinates, I guess you could say, of where they were on Google Maps. And I was getting really mad because I was like, man, it's all tan, like all white. <laughs> I'm waiting and waiting, like, why isn't this location loading? Oh, my gosh. It was loaded. There's nothing. (laughs) I going to tell. It's
0: like, there's no vegetation. It probably looks pretty white.
1: (laughs) There's nothing out there. They are far in the desert of Utah outside of Moab. My daughter. (laughs) You just crack me up. So, one of the biologists sees something shiny and tells the pilot, Brett Hutchings, to park the helicopter. I mean, land the helicopter. (laughs) Land the helicopter. (laughs) So, they can go check out what he saw. So, this video is kind of silly looking. uh, And what I mean when I say that is that these biologists are all in flight suits. Okay. Okay. Like pilots? Yes. The, they're Yeah. They're all in flight suits that zip like all the way up. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. They're out here exploring in the Utah desert with all its Red Rock. They're in Red Rock County. Okay. And it literally looks like spacemen on <laughs> Mars. Um, I can say that now. Okay. Yes. I mean, like Mars with the red stone and then they look like little spacemen. So, ha, space camper beer fits right in there. <laughs> So they go down into this canyon and they discover this metal pillar. Okay. It looks to have been made by stainless steel. It's over 10 feet tall. Mm -hmm. There's nothing on it. There's no inscription. It's just this prism shaped pillar. So there's three sides to it, like a triangle. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Triangle. Why couldn't I say that word? I don't know. It's triangularly shaped so it has three sides. That's what my note says. And it's made, and I already said that. Wow, I really like doubled myself over in this. Okay. The monolith, as they're calling it, was discovered on federal public land, meaning it had been placed there illegally, but the Bureau of Land Management had no plan or idea like what to do with it. Oh. So it's literally... Down in this canyon, this metal pillar, just randomly there. Now, what's interesting is that some online sleuths did do some looking on Google Maps, and they discovered that the monolith had been placed there sometime in 2016. Uh okay. So it had been there unnoticed for four years. Yeah, but who's going to go in the, that area? Just the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't just like off a path or something, clearly from my Google Maps experience. But one YouTuber, Justin B. McBride, hiked out to the monolith a couple days after it had first been discovered. So they discover this and then like it's covered everywhere in the media because <laughs> okay. it's just so bizarre. So a few days after it's discovered, this Justin B. McBride goes out and he makes a YouTube video of him hiking out there. He stated that to get out there, you needed a four-wheel drive, high-clearance vehicle and definitely needed some kind of a hiking boot or hiking shoes. He had actually camped in the desert about a half mile or so from the monolith so that he could get up in good time without crowds and could get up. There were crowds there by this time? Yeah. He said that while he was out there, there was at least 15 to 20 people that oh came by. Gosh. And he said including a full-sized helicopter. Wow. And this is out in the desert. This is just out in the desert. Right. This isn't. Yeah. Within days of it being discovered, people were coming from all over to see this mysterious monolith. Many people naming it that and comparing it to Arthur C. Clarke's Space Odyssey series. Okay. There's a. That's where the monolith comes from. In the series, the monoliths are machines built and planted by highly intelligent species or an extraterrestrial species. And because of that, many believe that the monolith discovered in the Utah desert is from extraterrestrials. Oh, boy. In the interview with the Australian News Channel, that biologist who discovered it, like who was one of the pilots in his yeah helicopter, Brett Hutchings, said that soon after he made he made mention of their discovery to the public a ufo group from hawaii got in touch with him they told him that many people had discussed that they believed they had seen the object falling from the sky brett hutchings is a lot like you mom and his response was basically well that's pretty interesting because someone had used a concrete saw to put it into the ground that the monolith was some kind of a new age art creation. And that could be and that could be a possibility because there are other such things out in the desert. There's Robert Smithson's spiral jetty on the shore of the Great Salt Lake, which is this crazy spiral cut into the coast. Look up pictures for these things. It's really cool. So it's the spiral jetty, there's also this random fake Prada store out in the middle of the desert in Texas. Like it literally is a Prada storefront in the middle of the desert.
0: Oh, Prada. It was a Prada store. I was like, what is that that she's talking about?
1: A literal a- store that is Prada. It's a fake Prada no, storefront. I know, I know, but it's, yeah. In the middle of the Texas desert and there's like Prada items in the store. Uh-uh. Google it, look it up. And then there's Nancy Holt's Sun Tunnels. It's an art form in Wendover, Utah, which it's really cool. There's like these cement tunnels kind of like on their side, like tubes, cement tubes like on their side, but there's holes in them. So it shows the sun and in, in its different rays like oh, that shines through the holes yeah it's called the sun tunnels so google that one too so you got to go google the spiral jetty then go check out the prada store in texas and then the sun Sun tunnels tunnels. so so art exhibits are found in the desert i don't know randomly
0: in the desert okay
1: yeah so so basically it's the field of dreams
0: build it and they will come
1: (laughs) but with all of these the creators of these art exhibits or whatever you want to call them the artists have come forward no artist has ever come forward for no this. one wants to claim this one <laughs> monolith yeah maybe because it's illegally placed on federal lands, uh, yeah but, that could be a reason but that's another thing too like this thing was really big and they had to go out all that way to go place it out there how they carry it yeah, and nobody's come forward. It's it's crazy. But the story gets more interesting. A couple weeks after the monolith is discovered, it disappears. Huh? <laughs> this mysterious 10-foot structure just poof, gone. It has been there for over 4 years, and within a couple weeks of being discovered, it was gone. Okay, you're in shock, right? <laughs> I'm thinking, Beth, you could really make the story up and nobody
0: would be the wiser. <laughs> You could just... No, this is true. (laughs) I can't find
1: a paranormal, so I'm just going to make this up. (laughs) Nobody can prove me wrong because the thing isn't even there anymore. (laughs) There's proof of this thing being there. Enjoy that moment because it turns out not to be too mysterious. So a photographer (laughs) by the (laughs) name... So a photographer by the name of Ross Bernards gave his story in a youtube video i found titled utah monolith mystery explained <laughs> so the youtube video is him being interviewed on fox 13 news station he says that he went out to the mysterious monolith to blah, blah, blah. he says that he went out to the mysterious monolith to take some photos i have to say that the way the light bounces off the red rock and this metal structure mm-hmm. it's really neat and if it's an art thing or not like it's really I don't know kind of bends your mind if you think about it like it's a man-made object mm-hmm. that's like straight and sharp and shiny but it's placed in like I don't know I don't want to get like too deep here but it's placed in like mother nature's artwork uh-huh. Uh-huh. that's like natural and created so you have all the curve to the rock and right I get you so it—it it is kind of It's really neat. Okay, but anyway, so he's out there taking pictures, and it's starting to get dark. And there comes this group of, like, four guys. He hears one of them say, I hope you got your photos. And before he knew it, the group was pushing and shoving the monolith down. (gasps) There's a video on YouTube, actually, of... Okay, so this guy is a ding-dong. But he blurs the faces of the guys and him taking the monolith down. But then he posts that video of him and his group taking it down on his YouTube channel <laughs> where none of their faces are blurred. Huh? Yeah I, I didn't get that. Okay. The video is titled We Removed the Utah Monolith November 27th 2020. His channel is Mr. Slackline. He and his friends are crazy base jumpers, like they jump from these random things all throughout the desert. So why are they taking it down? Did they answer that? They took it down. Yeah. The group claimed to have taken it down because of the crowds of people the monolith was bringing in.
0: Oh. Quote,
1: people arrived by car, by bus, by van, helicopter, planes, trains, motorcycles, and e-bikes, and there isn't even a parking lot. There aren't bathrooms, and yes, pooping in the desert is a misdemeanor. There was a lot of that. There are no marked trails, no trash cans, and it's not a user group area. There are no designated campsites. Each and every user on public land is supposed to be aware of the importance and relevance of this information and the laws associated with them. Because if you did, anyone going out there and filming the monolith and monetizing it without properly permitting the use of the land would know that's an offense too. Okay, well, I just pulled
0: a picture up from this because i had to picture i mean i had it's not what i thought in my mind so
1: okay did i not describe it properly <laughs> enough for you mother no,
0: you did i just i didn't know how big it was and how tall it was i
1: told you it's over 10 feet tall uh, i just these couldn't put it in climbing my head on top of each and these, other to look on top of it
0: these mountains must be pretty big because
1: they p- make it look really kind of small um okay oh yeah it's down in a canyon So, the vanishing act isn't mysterious, but the monolith's creator still is. And my story doesn't end there. Doesn't? The day the Utah monolith was removed, another monolith appeared in Romania. The same day? Mm hmm. This monolith disappeared on December 2nd, 2020. And soon after that, a third appeared in California. Now, This one in California isn't quite mysterious. A man named Travis Kenny came forward and he made claim to that monolith. I mean, it was 400 pounds and it was placed on this like two mile hike up this hiking trail. Holy smokes. Uh, So he came forward and actually this group of men chanting Christ is King tore down that monolith in California and put up this big wooden cross instead then over time the city wanted the monoliths back up like it became this whole whole ordeal became a thing but over time there have been over 80 monoliths that have popped up all over the The world world. and there's only one that has been claimed as to the artist some monolith creators have come forward others are even selling lookalikes online for thousands of dollars i mean like $45,000. Forty-five thousand oh, dollars. One was placed, and I'm not sure who placed this one, but like it was placed at the Paul Jolly Center for Pet Adoption, Pet Adoptions in San Antonio, Texas. And within days, the group's adoption website started seeing more and more traffic and more adoption of the fur babies. Oh. So. But like the creator of that monolith never came forward. Nobody knows who placed it there, but oh my it is gosh. bringing good deeds. Some are placed in front of places like that or in front of like some candy store. and But others are placed on the coast or off steep cliffs or in weird canyons. And we don't know who's placed them there. Some have like waves in the metal. And so they're not they don't all look alike. No, some have inscriptions uh, like the one in Hungary was labeled as a gift of the intergalactic. (laughs) Okay. All of these monoliths, the original one, the one in Utah is still a total mystery. Wow. Why was it placed there? How was Was it it just? Yeah. A new age, you know, art that they placed there. Were they like super bummed that it took four years for somebody to find it? But you'd think that that person would come forward and tell somebody who tells somebody like, it's just crazy that. And so was that the first one that was seen? Mm hmm.
0: Hmm. It kind of makes you wonder, are there other ones out there that haven't been found yet?
1: Oh, I know that. Yeah, that's so weird. Some random spot that nobody has ever. It looked and I think because it had been there for four years, but it looked like it was coming Protruding out of the ground, the way like the sand had gathered around it. It looked like it was coming up, but it wasn't. And I guess the guys just pushed it over. It didn't take them too long oh. to push it oh, over. Yeah. Okay. But there was one that was actually just recently found a couple weeks ago off some road in Texas. And this one was a wooden pillar that was shaped in a prism shape, but was like wrapped in like tin foil. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, that's a poor the poor man's
1: monolith but there was a really cool one i don't know exactly what metal they used but it looked like a mirror and it was placed on some cliffs near a coast like so you have the beach oh, and everything Oh, and the water reflecting. and it looked like a it looked like a mirror so it, from far away it literally looks like some kind of a portal or something like it looked really cool wow it looked really cool now that would be because
0: this one was rather dull it was a dull metal
1: and it it was stainless steel so it wasn't dull but all the people touching it and like even that like even the one of the photographers was like I'm trying to wipe it down so I can take pictures of it because it just looked from people touching it and then the sand and everything Hmm. Well, it was four. It had been out there for four years, right? So the yeah. elements had yeah. gotten to it, too. Wow. I'd never heard of that. Had you? Uh, I remember hearing about it during COVID 2020, how these things were popping up everywhere. But I never like really looked into it. So I thought that was Str- kind of fun. Is it paranormal? Is it not? We don't know. Oh, we don't know. They used a concrete saw to put it into the rock. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All righty. Well, this was episode 99. And next week we are doing episode 100. Uh, By the way, together, not virtually. Yes, we're actually going to be recording together. I am so excited. It's going to be fun. It is going to be a fun one. And it's going to be totally different so next week 100 also if you want to join us on patreon we're doing an extra episode we're going to try to do an extra episode every week but we're watching different things we're talking about different things uh it's super fun and we'd love for you to join us so download the patreon app or find us on patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash killer hangover podcast Email us your stories. Have you discovered a monolith? Send me your pictures at killer at gmail.com. And you can find all the sources and all the YouTube videos that I just talked about. And all of Mom's sources on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. That's right. And
0: if you have a place that you would like us to look into, either a true crime or a paranormal, let us know like Abigail from Alabama did. And we did it. And it was really interesting.
1: Yeah. I love when you guys send us ideas and things that you've been to and you want us to cover. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. All right, mom. Well, virtual cheers. My beer is empty that was a squished can sound if you didn't know (laughs) that was really bad (laughs) cheers mom cheers love you kid